I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Thanks, Paul. How are you doing? Oh, it's very high up here. <laughs> I, I've never been called the Delia Smith of preaching, so that's um, uh, a new hashtag for some of you. Uh, so, uh, last week we began the first in this series called Pray First. And this is not meant to be a complex teaching so much as a beginning of the year encouragement that as those that want to follow in the way of Jesus, we should put prayer first. And enough uh, reminders and encouragements from scriptures like the reading that we've just had to help us set our face at the beginning of the year on seeking God and, and recognising that if we want what God has for us, uh, it will come by putting prayer first. Last week we took the example of Jesus, who before he did any ministry, withdrew to pray. He withdrew for 40 days in the desert to pray, to seek God, and at the end he was tempted and then as you read his account, you'll see that he repeated that throughout his ministry, before praying for the sick, before teaching the masses, before making important decisions. Jesus prayed first. He's our example. In the passage that Paul just read to us, uh, we have another idea of what it means to pray First, And we will put that into practice today in the final bit of the meeting. And if you want to have it open, it was on page 829. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 2 in the first few verses. Paul, who's writing, this great apostle, he's writing to Timothy, a younger leader that he's raising up. Timothy's been sent out to churches to train them in the way of following Jesus. And in this letter to Timothy, Paul writes about the importance of prayer. This is what he says at the beginning. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Have you ever been on an aeroplane? You know, and they give you the, uh, the safety briefing. The exits are here, like as if you're going to jump out of the exit. And the toilets are here, and the food is this. And then at one point, they always say, and in the event of an unlikely emergency, an oxygen mask will drop from above. And then what they tell you to do is this. Before helping anyone else, place your own mask on first. That idea of looking after ourselves first is a very Western idea. Um, I know from my mum, she's sort of a po end of the war, post-war uh, baby. That was very much the ethos of the culture that she was brought up in that she kind of passed on to me. You know, first of all, take care of your own life and then go and help others. Um, this passage that says we should pray for others challenges that idea. And it doesn't just challenge the idea of selfishness, which we might identify as bad, 
but it, it challenges the idea of self-responsibility first. See, we often think of prayer as a private matter, my devotional time, my quiet time, me and God. We're wary of that warning where Jesus said, don't be caught praying in public. Prayer's a sort of private thing. It's a bit like sex. It happens, but we don't talk about it. Tweet that if you like. In this passage, that's just to wake you up. In this passage, we are urged to pray for others. Let me ask you a quick question. You don't have to tell anyone, but just mentally examine the last few times you have prayed. What have you prayed for? Have you prayed for your own needs, which I'm not saying is necessarily bad, or have you prayed for others? Because we're being exhorted today for the importance of praying for others. And not just that we pray for others, but that we do it first. As we begin our year and remind ourselves about the importance of prayer, the question for us is, do we just pray for ourselves and what we need? Or do we look outwards at the society and community around us and carry their needs in prayer to God? What is your job as a Christian? I mean, there's lots of things that you should be doing that you're called to do as a Christian, but one of them is the job of prayer for all other people. Now, the second point he makes in this is he says, you should pray first for kings and for all those in authority. And so it's not just that we're praying for others that we do pray for others, but we actually should prioritise prayer for people who have leadership roles in the wider society. This means that God wants you to pray for your boss at work, the person that marks your essays, your parents, the dinner lady at school, the police, your MP, the government, the governor of the Bank of England, celebrities, television influencers, Will I Am, the Queen, the President of the United States, the President of the Chess Club, the President of Tear Fund, Bashar Al-Exad, the President of Syria, the coach at your running club, the head of the World Girl Guides Movement, Bear Grylls, David Cameron, Ed Miliband, the leader of the local business, the guy that runs the chip shop down the road, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, Mark Zuckerberg who runs Facebook, your doctor, the taxman, and the guy that clips your ticket on the train. Because we are called as Christians for, to pray for those in society at large who hold any form of leadership and responsibility. Of course, to those that first heard it, this was radical in one way because it was saying pray for people you've never met because the ancient world was a small world. It wasn't someone they'd seen on television. The emperor was just a name. And worse still, it might have been someone against your lifestyle. You were being urged to pray for somebody who was perhaps an enemy or, or uh, against your faith. So that was a challenge in itself. It challenges the idea that we see church as a separate club and a, a cliquey group of people who gather behind closed walls and then within this group, we are community. It challenges that community to say, your community is the whole of society. It's all the people you know, all the people you have contact with, 
and the people that you just see on television or you read about in the newspaper or a friend tells you we need to pray for this country, this situation, this leader because something's happening in that place. This idea of praying first for others and those who are leaders, kings and those who are in authority radically reframes the vision and the mission of what church is. Our vision is far too small. And it will be enlarged by engaging with this idea of prayer. I want to be in a church that's massively outward looking. And it's not that we don't want to, but it's, this is one way that we achieve that. By engaging with all of society in prayer. And we're given reasons for why we do this. The first reason is this, that we can live a peaceful and quiet life. This does not mean Sunday afternoon by the fire with your slippers. This means the life that God's called you to live can be helped or hindered by what's happening in the wider society around you. See, for us in our country, we have that easy, but what about people who live in Syria or Afghanistan who are trying to serve God? Or um, imagine what life has felt like for, for people who live in Paris this week. The state of your society, the peacefulness of your community affects the ability to the, for you to live the life that you're trying to live in terms of following God. The second is that um, uh, it's so that we can live godly and holy lives. And so we can pray for key people, people who have authority, people who make decisions about our community, our society, because the choices they make affects how, we, how effectively we can serve God. I was in a meeting last week and we were praying that the council would, would go back to when it was free parking on Sunday in the city centre because we know that had a direct effect on people coming to city centre churches. So we need to pray for whoever that is in the council and find out their name. We need to pray for them so they'll make that wise decision so that God's kingdom can come, so that people can, more people can come to church in city centre churches. The second reason is this. He says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we're praying for those who are leaders and decision makers in society, those who are kings and politicians, those who run schools and businesses, um, people in our local communities. We pray for them because God ultimately wants salvation to come. We're praying, this is like the bigger prayer for God's kingdom to come. If we pray for these people, God's salvation will come to them. Partly because kings and leaders need people to pray for them. I've, like, I don't hang around with that many important people, okay, but I've met a few. And let me tell you one thing that's, that's often true about that kind of person. People who have a very high up office in a business, they're the top of their company, they're a celebrity. They're often very lonely for genuine friends. Unlike probably most of us here, they don't have somebody who they could probably turn to and ask them to pray. They might do, but they might not. So in some ways, those that have most influence and impact upon what society looks like 
are often most isolated from people who can pray. I love that in some of the traditional Anglican services that you can do, we don't tend to do them here, but if you go to other churches, the traditional services include prayers for the Queen and her counsellor. So you pray, God save the Queen. Not like, get her saved, but more like, God keep bringing salvation to the Queen. And then it's followed up by, and teach her counsellors wisdom. The inference is, God's wisdom. Teach her counsellors wisdom. And it's kind of an old-fashioned prayer in as much as it always needs to be updated for our society. It's a longer list than just the Queen who has an influence on our society. But the idea that the mission of the church fares well when we pray for those who lead and govern our society. And then Paul ends this section where he's exhorting them to pray for leaders by giving them the the kind of ace of spades reason why they should do it. He says, here's the ultimate reason why they should do it. Verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. He's tying the whole thing up in this idea of saying, ultimately, the world in which we live, anyone that has any role, whether it's the dinner lady... (coughs) or the president of the biggest company, has that role only because Jesus Christ exists. And he rules at the right hand of the Father. And ultimately, all leadership comes from God alone. Leadership is God's idea, and anyone that holds a leadership office is, in effect, being entrusted with leadership from God. Ultimately, to God they will give an account. Well, I want us to have as much time as we can to pray, and Ellie's going to come up and lead us in that. But I want to exhort you, as we go into this exercise and as we go into this week ahead, let's begin to reframe how we pray. Let's not just pray for little old me and my friends. That's okay. Let's expand that and pray first for those who lead in our society and have authority in our communities.